Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton, along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, and we have got a special two-part treat for you. We are jumping into our next two sessions together with a Q&A filled with your questions. What are those burning thoughts on the top of your head? And we're going to see if we can stump Pastor Jeff. How's that sound? Yeah, let's... <laughs> that's good. Now, <laughs> I, I hope I won't be too stumped, but thank you for sending in your... Th- these were not easy. No, they none aren't. of these questions. I took a glimpse at them. They yeah. are not easy at I, all. <laughs> as they kept coming in, I kept going. I'm going to keep putting this off as long as possible because they—they're not—they—they they made me. Y'all made me work very hard. Well, I think they're really real and honest. Yeah. They almost kind of come off as a stream of consciousness type <laughs> thought. Like, well, have you ever thought about this? And then this, <laughs> Some of and then do. what about this? So let's just jump right in today. Our first question that we're going to give you the chance to dive deeply into is from Matthew. And Matthew is a listener who says, since Jesus has always been there from the beginning, what do you think it was like before he was born into this world as a baby? I know there are some scripture references that may give us hints, and this may be more of a mystery, but I've been curious as to what it was like for Jesus prior to coming into this world. We know after he resurrected, he ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of God, but what about in the beginning, prior to the New Testament? Do you think he was in human form in heaven from the beginning with the Father, or was it a different dynamic in some sort of way? So... Pastor Jeff, what do you think here? We know that, one, since Jesus has always been here from the beginning, what do you think he was in his human form in heaven from the beginning with the Father, or was it different in some way? In other words, in what form do we understand Jesus to have been in before he came to earth? (laughs) So thanks for the easy, light question, Matthew. (laughs) You, You know, Matthew was a recent winner just in the last week or two. Oh, was he our coffee yeah, cup winner? Of our oh, yay! Kitchen table theology coffee mug, which I'm holding in my hand, it and is it a is beauty. still hot, and it <laughs> is it has southern pecan coffee in it. And but I think after this question, Matthew should return <laughs> the coffee mug. But Matthew, it's a great question and one that hits upon the pre-human form of the second member of the Godhead, God the Son. The Lord Jesus. In what form do we understand Jesus to have been before he came to earth? So did Jesus, the eternal son, have a physical body before he came to earth as an infant in the incarnation? So it's a terrific question because we, we uh, read verses like Genesis 3.8, which tells us that the Lord was walking in the garden. Hmm. And in Genesis 18, the Lord ate with Abraham. And there's other verses like like that. Yeah. I often have wondered about that too, because so often in the Bible, it sounds like God has a, what we would recognize as a human body. Right. For example, you know, Isaiah 59.1 mentions that God's hand and ear. And then in 2 Chronicles 16.9 speaks of God's eyes. And Matthew 4.4 4 puts words in God's mouth. And in Deuteronomy 33.27, God has arms. So explain that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I I can't be. I'm, I'm on Matthew now. I can't be bothering with all your questions. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, in those instances, and that that's really good. It it may appear that God has taken on a body. Now, of course, God can do what He wants as long as it's consistent with His nature. So, if He did assume a bodily form. Uh, I don't see that that would harm our faith at all, hmm. but I don't think any of these passages indicate that. All of these verses that, Jen, you just mentioned and those ones out of Genesis I mentioned are examples of what theologians call anthropo... <laughs> I tried so hard to say anthropomorphism. <laughs> anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. So, and what Hmm. anthropomorphism is, it's a way of describing God with anatomical or emotional terms so that we human beings can understand him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the Bible uses those kind of of terms, Hmm. it's a form of figurative language. It doesn't imply God as an actual body, but it gives us something that to gain some understanding about God using that kind of language. Hmm. So to answer Matthew's question more directly, in John 1.14, we read this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this verse clearly declares in context that the Son became flesh at the time of His incarnation. Now we're going to have a podcast coming up uh, the fir- I think it might be the first Sunday of December mm-hmm. on the Incarnation, but that's the Son becoming flesh. Uh, Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now catch this, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So the clear statement is that he took the form of, of a human being. That is, he came in human flesh. And then Paul told Timothy, God was manifested in the flesh. And when Paul says that, it's a direct reference to, again, the incarnation of Christ at his birth. And, and there are other verses in the, New Testament, in the New Testament saying much similar things. So I think the scriptural testimony is clear that Christ Jesus, he had a body once he came here to earth, but prior to the incarnation, he didn't have anything that even looked like a physical human body. Hmm. That only came when he came to earth. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense that he would want to relate to us in that mm-hmm. form. But let me ask the question then. I feel like my son would be in the back. But wait, <laughs> if Jesus didn't have a body before he came to earth, what did he have? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what form then was he in? He was spirit. Uh, the teaching that God is spirit is Jesus says it himself in John four twenty four. God is spirit, and his worship worshipers must worship in the spirit and in and in truth. And and Jesus said that to a woman who thought that physical locale had a bearing on the proper worship of God. But mm-hmm. he said, no, God is spirit. And say to say then that God is spirit is to say that God is invisible. And I mean, at least to our human eyes. And Colossians 1.15 calls God the invisible God. First mm. Timothy 1.17 praises God saying to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. So philosophically, 
God must be a spirit in order to be infinite. And also, if God was limited to a physical body of some sort, he could not be omnipresent in all places at once. God's not limited by the, uh, the dimensional restrictions of created things, but he can exist in all places at one time. And we've talked about this in mm-hmm. previous podcasts that God is the uncreated first cause, and, and that's the power behind all other created beings. So Jesus did not exist in any sort of bodily form in heaven prior to his incarnation here on earth. He existed in the form of spirit. Hmm. So great questions, Matthew. They certainly are, and I think he earned that coffee cup, even though he already won it fair and square, but he he, he won that. (laughs) All right, well, we've got another one. This one comes from an email from a couple, Mm -hmm. Russ and Cheryl, and Russ and Cheryl tell us that they're reading their Bible daily, working through the Old Testament, and <laughs> like most of us, they're finding it, I love the words they chose, both tedious and fascinating. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> often a sentiment we, yep. we tend to gravitate toward there. But Israel is constantly ignoring God's offers of peace and prosperity by ignoring the conditions put on those offers. God wants exclusive rights to their hearts and minds, but Israel loves to fiddle with other gods. Even threats do no good. Even punishments don't change things for long. What's scary is the similarity between Israel's behavior 3,000 years ago and our behavior today. It's pretty clear how Western civilization has turned its back on God in at least as many ways as Israel did. We can read what consequences Israel suffered for their lack of faith, but with our world today looking so much like that Old Testament world, I wonder if we might suffer consequences in the same way that Israel did. But Israel was pre-Jesus, and we are post-Jesus. So, from Russ and Cheryl, our theological dilemma is whether God has a different way to punish a nation today than in times before Jesus came to save us. Will God send a modern version of Assyria or Babylon to teach us a lesson, or have things changed? That's, a, that, yeah, that's a good one, man. Uh, Russ Goodness. and Cheryl, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um, thanks for sending that in. I think here's what I did. I, I talked. I talked this uh, your your statement and the question over with one of our other pastors here, Dr. Ben Lowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben is one of our teaching pastors and heads up our adult ministries. He's a very very solid theologian, and so this answer comes from both of us. Um, the the nation of Israel. Because you, you know you mentioned a lot about Israel there and God dealing with them, we 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 have to remember Israel is unique among all other nations for all time because they're God's chosen people, their chosen nation. God has not and He will not elect another political nation, another state other than Israel. He's not going to work through any other group of people than the Jews. That's been obvious for thousands of years. So God's treatment of Israel in the Old Testament is also somewhat unique. So the church, in contrast to Israel, comprises God's chosen people from every nation, tribe, and tongue on the planet, including the Israelites. Well, the church, we we possess what the Bible calls a new covenant with God, And we're promised a new kingdom in Christ, though both of those are still rooted in the Abrahamic covenant, which was justification by faith. 
Um, so let me slow down there. I, f- I feel like I probably lost a few of you along the way there. Well, that but, was the promises of God to Israel, right? Right. And then there's promises of God to the church, but God was dealing with Israel differently than he de- or, or he does, even than he deals with any other nation in the mm-hmm. history of the world, including the nations today. Um, and so his promises to the church all come to us through Christ. But it's also true that God judged many nations in the Old Testament for their sin, not just Israel. So it is entirely possible that though God has not entered into covenant with the nations of the modern Western world, let's say, he might still choose to judge us for our collective rebellion against him mm-hmm. as God. And you read about this in the Old Testament, God ju- God judged the Assyrians, God judged the Babylonians um, in their times. God was going to judge the people of Nineveh, mm. but in his grace, he sent Jonah. Um, but God's temporal judgments are pretty mysterious, though. We, we cannot assume that when a disaster befalls a nation or people group, God is judging them for their sin. And I have been asked this mm. almost on a weekly basis from various people. Well, you know, look at these hurricanes, look at these wildfires, look at this pandemic. Surely this is God's judgment. Well, no, surely, we we can't say surely. Mm. It Can it be? Could it be? Possibly. Is it definitively? I don't think we can say that. Mm-hmm. Um, God does judge people for their sin. He, he could be, uh, you know, bringing some natural disasters in judgment, but we... Here's the deal. We should be very careful to not pronounce judgment for God. Uh, Jesus himself warned against that mistake in Luke 13. It's best when we see thing, uh, when we see bad things happen in the world. I think what we do first is we take stock of our own personal state, and we turn away from any sin that might warrant the temporal judgment of God in our own lives, and then we can look to those around us. Mm-hmm firmly falls into that category. He is God, and we are not. And we are not. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we have our next question from Instagram. That's a fun place to get our question from. And it comes from Bonnie, who says, God is immutable, but why change from Saturday Sabbath to Sunday Sabbath, as we see in Exodus 31, 13? Great question. Hi, Bonnie. I really like questions like Bonnie's because it challenges something that we have always assumed. The church has always worshipped on Sunday, right? Well, maybe, but probably not. (laughs) So let's start with the first century church. Um, And again, let me rephrase, not rephrase, but repeat the question. Why the change from Saturday Sabbath to worshiping on Sunday? In those early halcyon days of of the church in its beginning, most Christians in the earliest days were converting from Judaism, whose holy Sabbath day is Saturday. However, because the resurrection and the beginning of creation had both occurred on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And by the way, did you know Sunday's the first day of the week? I did, but my my children often challenge me on that. I I did, but I I really think I've forgotten that. I wonder how many people know that Sunday is really the first day of the week. Well, you see calendars start with Monday all the time. That's why. Yeah. Put Saturday and Sunday there together. Um, So... Because of the beginning of creation, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the church started observing Sunday instead of Saturday. Uh, 
So more and more Gentiles started to become followers of Jesus, and they had this desire, and they were contributing to some of the Jewish desire to shake off some of the Jewish customs. So by the end of the first century, Sunday worship was the norm. Hmm. Now, we can assume that change caused some friction in the churches because Paul in Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Hmm. So there was some stuff going on about when, what day to call the Sabbath day. So to Bonnie's point, and she links the change from Saturday to Sunday in context of the immutability of God, one of our previous uh, podcasts, God does not change. And I think it's important to note that the Sabbath was not simply moved. God didn't do that. Mm -hmm. He didn't make some decree uh, or he didn't just say, okay, verily, verily, I'm moving <laughs> the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. The decree uh, to really to make it official came from a Roman emperor of all people who was the first Roman emperor to self-identify as a Christian. His name was Constantine. And in 321 AD, here was his decree. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed. Uh, Constantine seems to have made this decision all by himself, <laughs> not through the papacy, uh, since the papacy had not really come into being yet mm -hmm. at this time. And in doing so, Constantine was not changing the Sabbath. He was merely making Sunday the official day of rest for the Roman Empire. His motivation was probably not born out of hatred for the Jews. It's Hard to say why he or any of those Roman emperors did what they did, but out of a desire to adopt what the Christians had practiced for nearly two and a half centuries by that point, he was kind of just making official what was already going mm -hmm. on. Uh, it, it's well documented that the early church adopted Sunday as their day of worship. Acts 20 verse 7 speaks of this. On the first day of the week, we mm -hmm. came together to break bread, and Paul spoke to the people. What are they doing there? They're having church on Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of each week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. These passages indicate Christians were very, very, very likely meeting regularly on the first day of the week on Sunday. And they did this most likely, again, because Christ rose on the first day of the week. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that the death of Christ became more of a focal point of Christian worship services. Mm. Uh, that's not to say they thought it unimportant, but they were primarily concerned with his victory uh, over death realized in his resurrection. And so that's, that's how the Sabbath Saturday for the Christians got moved to Sunday. Well, these sure have been terrific questions today, and I mentioned at the beginning that this is one of two sessions we're going to do on a Q&A. Next time, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. I'll throw out some topics we're going to cover next time. We're going to cover Satan. Just, oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the assurance of salvation, and does God hear our prayers? So that'll give you a little teaser both to our listeners, and we'll give Pastor Jeff a little bit of heads up on what's coming his way. Thanks so much. 
Kitchen Table Theologians for joining us here today. We're so glad that you did. Head on over to wherever you subscribe to your podcast and click subscribe, ensuring that we always have people out there that are learning more about... Yeah, and we don't want you to miss anything. And the more subscriptions we have, the more ratings and reviews that we have, we, we're not doing this for just for Jen and I, so we can look at some feedback back you know we uh, oh i do i do look at every review so let me thank you for rating and reviewing absolutely and the more that do that uh the more people will find us when they are searching for theology or anything like that uh wherever they listen to podcasts so thanks everybody for joining us today and we'll look forward to being with you on our next podcast when we do part two of q a see you then see you then You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.